0: Welcome to Elisha's Space. Today we have the incredible Janet Grillo, author of God Promised Me Wings to Fly, Life for Survivors After Suicide, creator of the Veteran Suicide Awareness Flag, founder of Journey of Hope Survivors, and the brilliant mind behind the transformative course, Seven Steps to Renew Your Life After Tragedy. Let's embark on a journey of healing and growth together.
1: Hello, audience of Elisha's Space. I am so thankful, happy, and glad to have you with us today as you use this as a resource to assist and support you within your healing journey. And I want to share with you my new guest. Her name is Janet Grillo. And she has done so much as far as assisting and supporting those who have had loved ones who have committed suicide and also has a course that she's going to share a little bit more about to also help and support others as well. And hopefully the information she shares, these resources can help you, as well as a book that she's written called God Promise Me Wings to Fly. And it just offers a great support for those that we love and care about who have committed suicide and how can help you along in your healing journey. So, Janet, I want to thank you. I greatly appreciate that you've come by today so that you can share this information with us. Thank you so much for joining Elisha's Space.
0: Uh, it's my pleasure. Hopefully a lot of lives can be changed after listening to today's recording.
1: That would be fantastic if it could. You wrote the book, God Promised Me Wings to Fly, and the book focuses on life after a loved one's suicide. Um, what happened? What inspired you to write this book? What's your story?
0: Hey, um, the subtitle on this book is Life for Survivors After Suicide. Um, my husband um, died tragically on December 13, 2001. My story is a little bit different than other people's stories. After his death, I found out that he was living a double life and with alleged connections to the Philadelphia Mafia. So I guess allegedly I was a Mafia wife and I didn't know it. 55 family members of his walked away from me after the last shovel of dirt was pitched on his grave and I was left by myself to try and figure out who this person was that I was married to for 15 years and together for 18 years that I didn't really know. Uh, the only man that I really knew is the man who called me twice a day and told me he loved me and, and always made me feel cherished and just the only one in a sense. So, But what happened was is after he died, I actually went into a state of depression, uh, had anxiety attacks, thoughts of suicide myself, but only for a minute or two. I wouldn't make my family go through that. And about three months after my husband died, I just started documenting everything in a journal, and I wasn't really sure why. I just continued to do that journaling, and until many, many years later, I felt the need to share the wisdom that I had with other people so that knowing that I went through so much pain, I knew that other people were going through similar pain, not always with the death of a suicide, but just in the death or changes or tragedies or things like that.
1: Wow. So a lot happens. Whenever there is a a death, a lot of times the secrets come out. What a secret that came out.
0: So, (laughs) so, out, so
1: So you were probably also not just grieving your husband, but also maybe grieving the person you thought he was once you were learning some of these other things that were occurring.
0: It, it was devastating to find out, you know, cause I didn't know which way to turn, which way to turn. And then uh, little things unfolded one at a time, you know, it was crazy because my, my husband who died was actually my second husband, but my first husband's wife worked in, in a, an attorney's office. And a week after my husband died, she overheard a friend of hers or a colleague of hers talk about a friend whose boyfriend died by the same way that my husband died. And she thought, well, that's really strange to hear about two deaths in one week. And then she said to her, uh, well, who was your friend's boyfriend? And she said, Tony Grillo. She went, Tony Grillo, that can't be the girlfriend. You know, she said, he's married. She said, no, he's not married. He's been my her boyfriend for the past five years, has always also been on family vacations and was included in the family portrait. So I thought... Wow. What the heck? <laughs> you know, and then one by one, you know, ladies of the evening, wherever he had came out. So I had to deal with all of that. So wow. it, was not, it was my grieving that I had to do on my own, figuring out where do you go from here, his family walking away from me. It cost me over a hundred thousand dollars in attorney's fees just trying to get what was legally right for mine. And there was some shady dealing and, um, an insurance man who was dishonest who actually had taken one of the insurance policies and illegally transferred it into his children's name. So that cost me another $25,000 to get my fair share of what I was supposed to have. So it it cost me a lot of money. And uh, it wasn't so much. Well, it was the money. It wasn't just the money. It was just the whole aspect of everything. You know, and so what I did is I actually wrote my book in 2018 and self-published it with a different subtitle, and then in 2021 I was picked up by Morgan James Publishing. And uh, Morgan James Publishing, I worked with a an amazing editor, and I rewrote the book in the first person. So when people read the book, it it unfolds like a mystery, at least in the beginning. You know, giving all the facts and different things and you know, even ask the readers, you know, okay, you have all this information, like, what are your thoughts? You know, because to this day, I still don't know 100%, like, if it was a suicide, assisted suicide, suggested suicide or murder.
1: Wow, wow, wow. Well, thank you for sharing the information about the book. I had also learned that you are the creator of the Veteran Suicide Awareness Flag, Could you talk a little bit about the significance of the flag and how it's helped to raise awareness around mental health?
0: So the the flag, I um, created it approximately a year ago. And how it started out is I had the opportunity to be a freelance writer with Crown City News out of Sacramento. Mm -hmm. One of the conversations that I had with the owner was in regards to uh, veterans. And for whatever reason, it always kind of bothered me is that you know, you may have two veterans that would come home from war and maybe they both lost their legs. And I wondered, what's the difference between one strapping on prosthetic legs and running a marathon and the other remaining a victim, becoming a martyr, uh, becoming an alcoholic, a drug addict, and eventually, you know, committing suicide. And I truly believe the difference between one as a survival and being victorious and one could remaining a victim is how close they are to God. Because when you get closer to God, I had discovered myself through successes and failures of trying to do things on my own. But I realized that the closer I get to God, the easier life is. The closer you get to God, you realize that things things happen for a reason. And it's up to us to figure out what that reason is. But I look at it and I kind of put an analogy to my thinking is that my husband had to die in order for me to find my faith, in order for me to pull out what I thought the lesson would be, and for me to just think to myself that there are so many people that are going through a tragedy and don't even know how to get up or get started or anything, and my goal is to help other people. But regarding the the suicide awareness flag, it's weird because my husband was not a veteran, but as crazy as it seems, his body was found in a veteran cemetery. The Veterans Cemetery, um, he had an uncle that had committed suicide a few years prior to that, and that's where his uncle was buried. For me, one of the things, one of the persons that I interviewed for Crown City News was a woman who's considered to be a Gold Star mom. So a Gold Star mom or Gold Star dad in the military sense is someone who has lost a child to suicide. And so the person that I interviewed, her son had committed suicide, but she introduced me to a man by the name of Howard Barry out of Chicago, and his son also committed suicide. So on average, there's 22 veterans that commit suicide every day, 650 a month, and more than 7,000 a year. And that's the number that's kind of out there, but we kind of think that it's more now because of the pandemic and you know all of the misfortunes and things, lives that you know the things that happen to us in all of our lives. But um, Howard Berry actually started a display of 660 flags to represent one month of suicide. In Florida, we have here um, a miniature traveling Vietnam Wall, and now there's also a display of the 660 flags there. So when I was talking to my sister after the interview, she just said, oh, I saw a collection of flags, but I've never known what they meant. And so my thought behind it was, is I want to design a flag that when people see it, they'll know exactly what it means. So I, I went out and I purchased, you know, flags and laid them on my living room floor and walked around them for about a month trying to figure out how I'm going to do this. Through trial and error, I came up and I still kept the American flag. But there's uh, 50 stars on the American flag. And so what I did is I took 30 of those stars and I put a 22 on them to represent each star with the 22 represents one day of suicide. So the 22 times 30 is 660 deaths uh, in one month. And then within the body of the flag, I have uh, two turquoise uh, stripes. And in between the turquoise stripes is Stop Veteran Suicide and the colors for suicide preventions are turquoise and purple. And I actually, that flag can actually be seen at uh, www.veteranssuicideawareness.org. Um, that, that's where I have there. So my goal is is to get that flag flying somewhere in like the VFWs that we have throughout the United States mm-hmm. and to get support from businesses in order to do that. But that's that's a bigger project. That's, that's a project on its own. So I'm Hoping that from all of my efforts from my book and my courses and things that we can transpire into doing all that to get some visuals out there, you know, to help with the mental health health issues.
1: Yes. Yes. I think that's a pretty amazing and wonderful thing that you're doing as far as the flag is concerned and, and just getting that information out there, because I don't think the veterans are getting I know they're getting assistance and support, but it could be a lot better.
0: Mm -hmm. it could be a lot better
1: it could be a lot better so this alone I think will help quite a bit have you had any traction with being able to have it at the VFWs and and things like that as far as getting it out there
0: Uh, not so much because that project had to be put on hold because of the projects that I'm working on now so just being one, one person here you know I have to do things one at a time for doing that so uh, i think that will all come in time i have people lined up now that are going to help me do that so i don't have to do all the legwork of course so, uh, so once they can pull that information together then i can do the final thing of of presenting it and taking it from there
1: what kind of support are you currently looking for from other organizations like maybe sponsoring the flag or something of that nature what are you looking for as far as support for the flag to yeah, get that actually, out there
0: Actually, for the uh, not just for the flag, but also for the program that we're going to discuss to the seven steps to renew your life after tragedy. I mean, basically what I'm looking for right now is a sponsorship through corporations. OK, and once I once I can, you know, obtain some sponsorships through the corporations, then everything will go a lot faster. OK. It it takes money to uh, publish the books. It takes money to create programs, takes money for virtual assistance. But uh, it's something that when I put the program together, I just don't want to put it together just for the sake of having it out there. It has to be each uh, step within the program has to be filled with an emotional aspect of it. And it will have like a workbook along with it so that once people go through like the first step is believe in yourself. Then there'll be a series of questions because it's not the the steps aren't there for you to hear about me and how I healed my way. It's a step, mm-hmm. t- it's to give the reader or the student guidance. But then the real discovery for them and the real healing for them is going to be in the actual work that they put together through the workbook.
1: So what we're talking about, audience, is Janet is creating a course and it's called Seven Steps to Renew Your Life After a Tragedy. And so each one of the steps, that's what she's referring to when she talks about that, is focused on an um, aspect that can assist or support you within your healing journey. So would you like to share a little bit more about that and how it can help them overcome their trauma and their tragedy of losing someone significant in their life?
0: Yeah, it's uh, it's interesting because when I first sat down to do this, you know, I really thought the first step was going to be awareness and acceptance. And then I stepped back and I looked at it and I go, what the heck is wrong with you, Janet? Because awareness and acceptance wasn't anywhere near the top of the list in my eyes. After, um, you know, I walked through after the tragedy of my husband, mm-hmm. and everything that I had to deal with it afterwards. And so basically, for me, I couldn't find myself. It was like I was nowhere to be found. I, I. When he died, I lost my identity. I, you know, was even afraid to come out only because people would point fingers at you and stuff. So um, talk behind your back, whispering, pointing fingers, asking you questions. You know, when you think you you've healed a little bit, and then all of a sudden, you know, somebody say, "So, do you have any idea why your husband killed himself?" You know, and that's like six months later, and then it puts you right back at this, you know, step number one or day number one, which is bad. So I I rearranged it and I added the very first step is to believe in yourself. And the subtitle on that is learn how to deal with the mess in your life. Know that when we feel broken, we can be put back together to create something more beautiful. Mm -hmm. The second step is awareness and acceptance. God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. Courage to change the things I can and the wisdom to know the differences. It's called Nealboro. The third is seek to gain wisdom. Learn how to find your inner strength to discover that everything you need to improve your life lies within you. Partner with God and, and not disappoint. The fourth step is eliminate the negatives. Learn how to accentuate the positives by eliminating the negatives. Latch onto the affirmatives to envision the light at the end of a very dark tunnel. The fifth one is take control of your life. Discover how to create a new life by taking 100% responsibility for the things you can control. Now's the time to take a hard look at your present life. Create a vision board of your dream life and act. Dreams do come true. Transformation. Take a hard look at yourself in the mirror. Now's the time to see yourself outside of yourself. Set realistic goals and find the habits associated with the things that you want to change. The goal is to create the best version of yourself. And the fourth one is purpose with intention. Zig Ziglar said it best. You can have everything in life you want if you help enough other people to get what they want. Now is the time to be part of something bigger than yourself.
1: I think this has also helped you in your healing journey too, has it not? Creating the course.
0: A a tremendous amount, you know. Especially for me, it's. It really started for me when I was had to rewrite my book in the first person because, in order for me to write it, I had to relive it. And and you relive it, and you know, time has passed, and you look at things differently. Uh, The thing that was destroying me after my husband died was that I refused to forgive him, and forgiveness plays a huge role in everything that we do. Absolutely. Because if you when I didn't forgive, um, I had so much anger in my body that it was actually just destroying me from the inside out. Right. So it wasn't until, gosh, maybe three years after my husband died. You know, I was traveling and I just found myself in a fetal position, you know, on a hotel floor. And I don't know what prompted it. All of a sudden, I just couldn't, I couldn't even move really. And so at that point, you know, I mustered up the strength and I was just thought, well, I'm just going to look for a Catholic church and go pray. So when I went in the church, I found a young nun uh, who was there. She didn't speak English. I walked past her and they had a uh, life-size statue of the piata, which is uh, the Blessed Mother holding Jesus. And so I prayed in front of that for the longest time and I walked out and I could buy some rosaries and you know, I don't do the rosaries much at all, at that point I needed it and I couldn't make the nun understand what I wanted, but through visual things and stuff, um, she ended up giving me the rosaries off of her belt. There were carved wooden beads and I have it to this day and it's my most prized possession on that, but she took me over to the rectory to look for a priest who spoke English, and he wasn't there. And he called me at 11 o'clock that night, and we spoke for three hours. And he made me realize that when you forgive someone, you're just simply forgiving the person, but not forgiving the act of right. doing it. So once I forgave my husband, surrendered my life to God, you know, my life was a lot easier. And, and it was like a A huge mountain of concrete that was sitting on top of me, you know, not allowing me to move forward, allowed me to think a little bit differently.
1: I'll go a little bit deeper with that, too, because forgiveness, and this is just my definition of the collusion I've come through through my studies, is choosing to forgive the offense of the wrong that was done to you. It doesn't mean that you allow it to happen or even that you allow... That person or whatever that the things that were around that situation to have access to you, but Mm -hmm. you choose to forgive the offense of that.
0: Yeah, it's 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 tough because, um, you know, you don't you just don't want to forgive, you know, it's like, how can you do that? Why? Why did you do that? Why why, why were you a liar? Why were you deceitful? You know, when, when they do things like that, it's, it's just meant to hurt other people just to make themselves feel better about themselves. And um, a lot of the people like that with my husband was probably very narcissistic. You know, when you look up those definitions and things, and those are challenging uh, personalities to deal with.
1: Absolutely. What conclusion did you come to that helped you to get to a greater place of forgiveness? For him, so that you could move forward?
0: Well, I spent a lot of time with God.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: And then that's truly the only way. I decided to only allow people in my life that would enhance my life. And I chose to remove the people from my life that caused me pain. And uh, I refuse to be around any negativity whatsoever. Everything in my world has to be positive because any negativity in there just pulls you down. Right. You know, so I would rather even it's very challenging for me is, um, you know, you always have different family conflicts every now and then when you've got big families and there's always like bickering and things, maybe not always, but lots of times in doing that. So in this time of my creations of doing this, I just kind of go off on my own. And I just don't allow any outside forces or conversations that I would think would bring me down for that. And so it's a matter of it's a matter of making choices. And this sounds
1: like you're protecting your peace.
0: You know, that's I've never looked at it that way, but you're absolutely right. That's exactly what I'm doing. You know, because I can't when I write and when I create. It's not something that you can pick up and do something every ten minutes or do it for an hour here or there. I mean, Mm -hmm. you have to whole body and heart and soul into it. Like I said, when I create this course, I don't want it to just have it just to say I created it. I want it to be the course when someone says if you've gone through a trauma, then you need to go through this course. And this yeah. this will help this will help write you. This will help get your thinking into the right place. You know that this is going to be good for you. And then whatever they do from it to take it from there and hopefully they share it with other people so that we can you know, as a whole, our whole world is hurting right now, you know, but it's just a matter of, and even though the, the book or the the course would be out there, there's still a lot of people who just want to remain in that victim sense. It's only the people that just say, Hey, all you need is like that little grain of mustard seed to, to have a little bit of hope and faith. That's all you need. And some, and actually in the beginning, I didn't even think I had that mustard
1: seed is super small too.
0: And, and I have to say, yeah, yeah. The, the mind doesn't know the difference between real and not real.
1: It doesn't. So, okay?
0: so whatever you tell yourself, that's what it's going to believe. If you keep saying that over and over again, then even if it's not real, then you'll make your mind think that it's real and then it becomes real.
1: That's why affirmations are so important. Speaking life into, I believe that because we were created in the image of God, We can speak to things and we can see things change because we spoke into it. So our words have power. So if you speak negativity, you can continue to see the negativity. But if you start to speak life, despite what the situation is, you can start to see things change for the more positive thing. You're putting out the vibrations and the energy to help things come to life for you. So I think what you're saying is very powerful because it's true. The mind doesn't know the difference. And often when I speak to others about this, I talk about creation, how in Genesis, how when God spoke to let there be light and there was light, nothing was there, but he spoke it into existence. And it is possible for us, even though it might look different, to speak into our circumstances and see change which is why affirmations are important to speaking life to yourself, because it can cause change for that as well. Your nonprofit, Journey of Hope for Survivors, it provides support for those who've lost loved ones to suicide. How do you help people with this organization and what kind of impact have you seen
0: with it? Well, again, that's that's just kind of in the starting stages of that the, the flag will actually, any proceeds from the flag, all of that will go through the journey of hope survivors and doing that. On that part, what I'm planning on doing is dollars that are generated through the flag is just to put it back into the flag again, you know, in order to help more people with that. Uh, down the road, there might be like support groups as far as that's concerned. But again, you know, my thinking is big and I'm just one person right now. So it's just a matter of the creations, just one step at a time. Okay. Of course. The journey of hope survivors is going to be totally dedicated to the, the veteran suicide awareness and helping the veterans. Okay. And
1: on this podcast, let me just put it out there. If you need support from me, you have that.
0: Okay. I, thank you so much.
1: Now, suicide prevention and mental health, are often stigmatized and they're misunderstood and Boy, do I am aware of that one. How, how do you think we can break down some of these barriers and encourage more open and honest conversations like we're having now?
0: You know, it's it's interesting. I, I belong to a um, coaching group called Altercall, A-L-T-E-R-C-A-L-L, and it's run by Ryan Blair out of California. Mm-hmm. And Ryan is successful in his own right. He had one company, a vitamin company that he sold for. million. And so he's all set, but everything was wonderful in his life financially wise, but things were not set in his life spiritual wise. Uh, His mother was sick. She had gone into a coma. He made a promise to himself. And now he's created a company of building um, spiritual entrepreneurs. And it's wonderful to be part of that group because the whole purpose of the group in our training is, is that we can only get ahead in life if, if we help other people get there. So it's not a matter of just making money. It's a matter of making a difference in someone else's lives. I love but, that.
1: It's servant leadership. I love that. Go ahead. Yeah,
0: it's an amazing company. He's just an amazing person. But when I was on a call last night, you know, and we had a question and answer a gentleman came on and he just said to Ryan that, you know, the troubles that I've had in the past couple months and Ryan didn't elaborate on it because it wasn't his place. But then the gentleman, Alex Reef said that in the past three months, he lost his mother because of her age or illness, lost a grandchild from an accident and his daughter of 18 years old committed suicide. And my heart broke right in that moment. You know, so I sent him through a personal chat and said, my husband also died by suicide. Please give me a call. And he did. And we talked and I'm going to send him a copy of my book because he's also has a faith based as well. But in talking with him, it just refreshed my memory of how important this course needs to be to help someone. You know, like his first thing is he's saying, you know, well, I'm going to do this, this, I want to create this, I want to do this. all of that well is good. You know, it's taken me 20 years or 15 years to get here. And my first response to him is Alex said, slow down. You have to go through the healing process. You know, the only thing that you're doing right now is you're filling the void of what's not there.
1: Mm-hmm. And what
0: you need to do is you just have to first allow yourself to grieve. And grieving is messy and it's slow, but you, can, and you can't put a time stamp on it at all. But, you know, through talking with him and listening to what his hopes would be and everything, and they're all good. So, you know, we promised to stay connected, to talk. And I told him that the one thing that he and I are, are we are both credible witnesses. I, I think after my husband died, someone walked up to me and grabbed my arm and said, I know how you feel. And I said, you have no idea how I feel. Right. And I pray to God that you never do know how I feel. So don't say, don't say that. So if we as credible witnesses who have had their lives touched by something like this, who have had our hearts ripped out of our body and lost all sense of self, know how it, know how it feels, but there's all different stages of grieving. And so in the course, throughout the course, I also share my stories, you know, portions of my book that are in there because I want the person to, the student to understand That there's someone that's teaching them who has walked in their shoes. Mm -hmm. And if they have a question, I can have an answer for them. If not, then I'll know where to find the answer to or put people together. So it will be, once it gets up and running, it's going to be a very strong community of support with also Zoom meetings where people will actually be able to attend And so I I picture this as being something really wonderful and helping a lot of people. And see, the thing is, is I've had the opportunity to go out there and do some motivational talks. And it was interesting, after I had a talk, the people walked up to me, you know, one by one, almost silently. And they shared with me things from their past that they've never shared with anyone before. Mm -hmm. And so for me, coming out, being vulnerable in telling my story... In the raw aspect of it, even when I slithered on the floor like a snake with vomit all over me, wetting my pants, I'm not afraid to say that story because you know what? It's real. And mm-hmm. people have to understand that it's okay. But if you talk about it, you know, this one woman came up to me and said that that her parents, uh, this, well, they had a, a brother who was mentally challenged way back when. And the parents' um, response to that was that they locked him in a closet. And for years and years and years, no one even knew that this child even existed. And one time she dressed him up and took him out for Halloween. And that's how they discovered it. But she, you know, she did that. Another person came up to me and told me that she was raped repeatedly as a child. And she never shared that with anyone. So the thing of it is, is that through my story and through my witnessing and me telling about myself, I believe it's going to allow people to tell their stories and not to be ashamed of telling their stories. It's like Joyce Meyer. I mean, she has such an incredible life, but she was raped by her father and family members, you know, from a very young age. Until she was 16 or 18 years old. And then she, you know, she hated her father. Of course, how could she not hate her father? But in the end, she learned to forgive her father. But it's because of what happened to her is why she became such an evangelist today and helping other people.
1: Right. It's really all part of the healing journey. In a way, that's kind of my story, too. It's, you know, I've had a string of different things that have happened. People know I'm a survivor of domestic violence. But there were some other things that happened as well. And I wouldn't be a counselor Today, I wouldn't have my mental health practice today and be giving back. It's part of the healing journey. And if I hadn't gone through some of those things, I don't know what I would have done, but it would be a different thing if I hadn't gone through some of those things. And I'm still healing, just like you probably are as well, from those things. And it's nourishing to help and support others as well, as I'm sure you're experiencing as well. That it's healing for you. It still continues. It's nourishing for you. And I love how you were talking about how you're going to be building community through this course. And as far as people having a place and a safe place where they can share, because there's a lot of shame around grief, especially when there's suicide involved. There's a lot of shame around it. And Mm -hmm. I personally can't stand shame. So I'm really glad that this is going to be a tool to kind of help people get away from feeling shame and be authentic and telling their stories. Because that's where the healing journey begins. I don't understand why we try to mask our pain. I, under, I get it. But everybody's hurting, you know, to some size, shape, or form. And having a safe place where you can share that is so, so important. What message or words of hope would you like to share with our listeners who may be struggling with their own loss or their mental health? And what can they do to start, you know, their own journey towards healing and hope?
0: One of the things that dramatically changed my life is after I became a Catholic. And so I, one of the times I had uh, an out-of-body experience when I was driving, um, the song Hello by Lionel Richie came on the radio, and that was my husband's and my favorite song, and it sent me into a panic. Into
1: one of my anxiety. favorite songs, too.
0: Go ahead. Yeah. yeah sent it's... me into a panic, Set me into an anxiety attack, and I was driving. And somehow I ended up in the church parking lot, and I don't remember how I got there. And so I sat in the car just with the intention, I guess, to go into the church, but God led me to the rectory instead. So I went over to the rectory and I banged on the door like a crazy woman begging for help. And the woman came to the door and she says, I'm sorry, there's no one here to help you. And I collapsed in the doorway and she started screaming for help. And the Monsignor came running. He was getting ready to leave for an appointment and certainly canceled it after he saw the condition that I was in. So we sat down and we talked for several hours, but he told me that they were just getting ready to start uh, Catholic classes. It's called RCIA class, which is right of a Christian initiation class. It's for adults who are considering to becoming Catholic. So he said, I'm not saying this is the best place for you to start, but it's a good place to start and, and see if you can find your ground. One of the things that I had many challenges with after my husband's death was trust, because here... I thought my my whole life was a lie. And so, you know, I just remember things that my husband told me. I'm going on a business trip and said he was going on a vacation or something like that, you know. Right, So I ended up going into the course. There was about 12 other people in there, and many of them were broken like me. And some of them had already experienced God's amazing miracles, and they shared them with us. And I looked in total amazement, and I just said, I could use some of that. So I was um, a very good student as far as that's concerned. So I became a Catholic and then elected to sit Perpetual Adoration in the chapel of our church. And what Perpetual Adoration is, is that we have a, a statue, which is called a monst- Monstrous or awesome, Sorry, I'm sure I'm saying that wrong. And it has a large uh, communion host in it, which represents God. So basically, you are sitting with God one-on-one. So every Thursday from 11 in the morning till noon, I sat there with the Blessed Sacrament, and it was just like me and God. That's all it was right there. And so I started writing in a journal, and I had one journal that I reserved just for adoration. And it start, each page started out with, Dear God, hear my prayers. And then I would just write, you know, I think when I first started writing, my handwriting was probably an inch tall because I had so much anger in my system. And then after a while of writing all of the getting all the negatives out of my my body, then I thought, oh, I'm doing something wonderful today. I think I'll tell him about this or I'll tell him about that. And about maybe six months or so after, you know, me writing to God, I thought, I wonder what he would say to me if he wrote to me. So I turned to the back of my journal and I wrote on the top of the page, Dear Janet, and the bottom of the page just simply said, Love God. I said, Empty Lines waited patiently while I waited anxiously to see if my quest was crazy or profound. And after about a half an hour, my hands started to move, but I wasn't aware of what I was writing. Later, I found out it's referred to as automatic writing. Uh, It's writing that comes to you through your head, your heart, and your soul. And so uh, in my book, I share letters that I wrote to God. I also share letters that God wrote back to me. Now, my husband died in 2001, but the letter that means the most to me that God wrote to me is actually dated June 8th, 2004. And it says, know that I've chosen you to do a special task for me. One, I don't want you to take very lightly. One day you will write a book. And when that time comes, we will write it together. Through our words, you will bring many people to me. It'll be a great success for you, but a greater success for the lives that we've changed. And I will put the right people into your life to make it happen. Of course, I replied, really, God, I was in Mr. Fox's remedial reading class in the seventh grade. Surely you could choose someone besides me. He goes, no, I chose you. So I really don't try and be Holy Ghost Junior by any stretch of the imagination. I just know the things that have happened to me in my life. If I'm stressed over something, if I'm going crazy over something, I just say, God, I can't do this anymore. It's all yours. I can't take it. And it's gone. It is gone as simply as quick as that. You know, one time, you know, and many times I I prayed out to God, especially laying on the floor, you know, with vomit on my face and screaming like, where in the hell are you? And feel that, you know, there must not be a God because if he, if there is a God, then where is he? Why isn't he here? But I realized that if he had answered me at the time, at my lowest point, my eyes wouldn't have been open and my ears wouldn't have, my eyes wouldn't be open to see and my ears wouldn't have been open to hear. So when I finally came down or was able to get up, uh, that was a time when just little things started to happen. It didn't happen quickly. It didn't happen overnight. It was just little subtle things that would happen. And um and I and I write about those in my book because it's just that and I hate to keep referring to my book but it's just that no it's th- fine those are my thoughts and my feelings of different things like I'm going well this just just doesn't make any sense at all mm-hmm. why did why did this happen you know even for me right now I work at uh, Holiday and Club Vacations in Cape Canaveral and I just simply got a phone call two years ago and said, this is Holiday and Club Vacations calling We would like to interview for a job. And I go, I I didn't enter, I didn't apply for a job. And they said, they go, and then they made me an offer. And I turned it down three times. And they kept coming back with a larger incentive bonus. And so I, you know, I went in there and I just looked at it like, God, I'm supposed to be here, but I don't know why. And then every day that I'm there, even though I can't talk about my book or anything there, but I my life is touched by so many people. One time, this lady came in and she was so horrible to me. She treated me terrible, and people just don't treat me terrible. I'm too nice of a person for that. But she was very rude. I offered her wine, and you know, and everything when she was checking in, and she was very short and didn't like the room they were in. So I managed to get them a much nicer room than what they had. And so at the end of the day, I. Saw at five o'clock. I saw that they were still waiting for their room. so I checked on it. They said ten more minutes, and I walked out to them and said, "You know, your room will be ready in about ten minutes. May I get you a glass of wine while you wait?" And with that, she pulled me down, you know, to her when she's sitting on step, pulled me down to her, started crying, apologizing, and said, "I'm very sorry that I treated you that way. My son committed suicide last week, and and we're just here to get away. Even just two weeks ago." Uh, A woman came in, they got this 2200 square foot magnificent, you know, vacation villa that they had. And with the whole family coming from all over the United States, only to find out that as she's driving, she gets a phone call to find out that her grandson had committed suicide by an overdose. Mm. When she came into my office, she was very distraught, you know, so even just the comforting of saying, you know, I know how you feel. My husband died the same way. To give him comfort and just you know, no. She says, "Well, this is a terrible time." And I said, "No, actually, this is the best time. You probably couldn't have stopped that suicide if he had had other attempts before. But this is the best time that could happen because your whole entire family is going to be together." So she had to change her way of thinking to recognize that this was a better time to do that.
1: So it sounds like what you're suggesting is prayer, meditation, journaling. I'm huge on journaling. Mm-hmm. And developing, forming your tribe, assisting and supporting others as you can throughout the healing journey as it allows you to, and that's all been healing for you.
0: Yeah, and um, probably the biggest thing is is to just take baby steps. Yes, don't, don't put a lot of pressure on yourself to do anything. Don't right. don't get so involved. Uh, you know, uh, walking is is very good. Just to be outside you know, for that. And then the journaling and listening to uh, podcasts that are very positive. You know, when you're walking, use it as a time to uh, to only allow the positives in your, in your mind. For me, I have a notebook that I keep next to my bed and when I'm watching TV. And so when I hear wonderful lines from different movies and stuff right now, you know, I'm watching the series, The Chosen, and that's just an absolutely magnificent thing, but I'm taking notes all through it. Because it's allowing me to understand God a little bit better and understand mm-hmm. some of the ways that he did, you know, as far as, you know, still helping the people who we deem as being terrible people. And then realizing they can be terrible because of certain reasons, maybe for the way that they were treated or something like that.
1: Yeah. And the other thing, and I think that's so important that what you mentioned about when it comes to grief, when you lose a spouse, when you lose a child. They say at minimum, minimum, it takes about 10 years to really feel like you've come on the other side of that. But that's at minimum. It can take a lot longer than that. No, I never never
0: thought about that. But, you know, probably 10 years was my turning point.
1: Yeah. So, you know, give yourself, audience, the space to feel, you know, and there's some days you're going to feel amazing. Mm-hmm. And then there's some days, if you hear the other podcasts I've done on grief and things, you know, there's there's some days maybe you'll walk in a room and you'll feel like you're okay, but maybe there's a smell and it causes you to grieve. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe somebody makes a statement that your loved one made and it triggers you. Allow yourself to experience the emotions around it, because if you push it down, it only gets worse. And you'll look to self-soothe in ways that are unhealthy. So allow yourself to experience that. Do your prayers. Do your meditation. Go out for a walk. Grieve. Cry. You know, scream. Whatever Mm -hmm. it is you have to do, do it so that it comes out, so that you can keep going forward. And sometimes the healing journey doesn't always look like rainbows and and unicorns and and happy things. Sometimes the healing journey is messy, and sometimes it looks like you're slithering on the floor like a snake.
0: Yeah, and a couple of books really made a big impression of me, and they and the authors are allowing me to include them in my program. One is actually the book called "Life Is Messy" by Matthew Kelly.
1: Yes, and, that's very good. Yes, and
0: the crazy thing about this is that mm-hmm. when I. Decided to put this course together I received this book in the mail and I didn't order it and I never heard of Matthew Kelly and he sold over 50 million books and I thought well how crazy how can somebody sell 50 million books and and I never even heard of his name before this book arrived so I looked at this book like it was one of those godsends sort of things. Mm-hmm. So if I didn't order it if I never heard of it like where did it come from Another great book that made a huge impact on me and I carried around like a bible and the book cover is all bent up and torn and everything and it's all highlighted is the book called Failing Forward by John C Maxwell.
1: Mm. Yeah, that's a good book too.
0: And those mm-hmm. those two books really especially the Failing Forward one it makes you realize that um we're going to fail many more times than we're going to succeed. Mm. You know, it talks about the averages of um is, you know, like with Babe Ruth, he had more, you know, strikeouts than he did hits. Okay. But it, it basically, the idea, it says, is to remember your successes. So it's very important that when you remember things, that you're just going to remember the goods, the successes, and put the negatives and things out of your mind that all of that is just a part of creating the person who you are today.
1: And something else that you said, and I know we have to conclude, but something else that you said, there's so much good that's come out of this conversation, is being intentional about what you allow within your circle, the messages that you allow to have within your circle, because you're already hurting. So you don't necessarily want to, need to, or maybe even desire to invite the strife and the contention and all of that from other combative conversations and things like that. Do what you need to do as it makes sense to protect your peace and establish boundaries for yourself around that so that you can really heal. Those are all important things. Listen, audience of Elisha Space, I want to thank you for listening and taking the time out to hear Janet and I as we have this conversation. My hope is that you'll hear about some of those resources that she has and is providing for for you to have access to. Um, You'll see the information in the description and learn more information about her as well as her contact information in the description of the podcast and allow yourself that time to heal. Allow yourself that time for peace. Allow yourself that time to grieve so that you will move forward in your healing journey and experience more joy. Thank you for joining us at Elisha Space.
0: Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll subscribe so we can keep the conversation going. Now go move forward in your healing journey.